Shall we pray? Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to gather here today and to take time and listen to you and look at your word and see what you have to say about life and living, to see what you have to say about fulfillment as a child of yours. And Father, I pray that uh, you would uh, use me, uh, Lord, uh, to glorify you and use me as an under-shepherd today to encourage and to help folks as they go along their journey in life. Commit myself to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I like our songs. I like our music. It's, it's really good. Uh, because my topic today had, happens to do with uh, knowing what you believe. Okay? And, and I was thinking when I was a kid in Sunday school, we used to sing songs. Uh, one of them was, was very solid and sound and taught me lots of theology. And the song was Deep and Wide. <laughs> deep and Wide. Deep and Wide. There's a fountain flowing deep and wide. I, you, you know, as a kid, you don't get that. Uh, you want to learn theology, really. You, you want to learn the Bible. Our worship program, our music, is so full of Bible teaching. Uh, it's tremendous. I don't care if you can't sing, then don't sing. Just move your lips. But even if you can't move your lips, take time and be reading these words and letting them register in your mind because they're great tools that God can use to teach you. The question that we're doing, we're doing a little series Jay and I are working on it, but there'll be some interruptions along the way. Uh, and uh, but uh, the series we've titled it: "Am I a healthy church member?" Am I a healthy church member? Now I'm not telling you to check me out. I'm telling you to ask yourself that question, okay? And, and, and just see. And this will. What I'm saying today will help you examine that. But if you're going to be a healthy church member, then you need to know what you believe. That just makes sense, doesn't it? If you're going to be healthy, you need to know what you believe. In fact, to say it another way, you need to be a theologian. You need to study God and His Word and understand what He has to say to you. But First of all, before I do that, I need to talk to you a few minutes. It's kind of an introduction about, and and, and by the way, my outline is uh, the importance, the importance of some things. And the first one is the importance of being a healthy church member. In fact, when I was going to go into this, I said, why is it important to be a church member? Why is it important to be a healthy church member? What's the big deal about church? Why should I go to church? Why should I belong? I mean, what's what's the idea? Did somebody come up with that, or is there some Bible sense to that? Um, I would just say a healthy church member is a healthy Christian. And a healthy Christian makes a healthy church member. You can't have one without the other. They go together. And uh, there are those who think that you don't need the church or that you don't need to belong to the church. But let me tell you a couple things about that. Christ didn't establish the church just for those who needed it. He established it. He established it for all believers. You can't say I don't need it. You need it, or Christ wouldn't have established it. There are others 
uh, who say that uh, when we think about it, uh, that it wasn't important, but Christ never talked about church as an option. Going to church, being part of a church, wasn't one of the ten options. Okay, it was important. God only ordained, established three institutions, the home, government, and the church. And the church has a responsibility to its members and to those who come in the doors of spiritual feeding and and helping them know what they believe. In fact, here's how important the church is. Christ gave himself for the church. He died for it. That's what he did. He died. Ephesians 5 tells you that. He loved the church and he gave himself for it. He died for the church. And the church is important to God. When the Lord wrote letters, he wrote letters to the churches. Like the church at Philippi. Not, not, not a big general thing, but hey folks at Philippi, I got a message just for you. That church or the church at Thessalonica or the church at Corinth, these local independent assemblies and so he wanted to address them and so he addressed letters to them and and I, I was reading one of the letters and it said to this church in Colossae, it said when you get done, pass this letter on to the next church. In the book of Revelation, when we talk about the churches in the chapters uh, 2 and 3, and we talk about the different churches and, and, and how that Christ is addressing local churches. I'm telling you, we got to get it in our head that God is very interested in the church. You know, one of the reasons is that people need the Lord and they need a savior. And then they need to get into God's greenhouse for growth and maturity. I like that phrase. They need to get into God's greenhouse for growth and maturity. The church is God's greenhouse for growing saints. And well, the verse is equipping the saints for the work of the ministry. But get in God's greenhouse. Uh, God established the church. Because he knew how much we needed. He knew how much we needed the fellowship. He knew how much we needed the encouragement. You find that in, in Hebrews 10.25. We need the encouragement. We, we need the fellowship. Uh, we need this church uh, well, I need your help. Did you know that? And you need my help. And here's what I want you to do. This is a little exercise, okay? Uh, turn to the person six, next to you and say, I need your help. No. You know, you, you know why? <laughs> I know it's hard for, for, for you guys to say that to your wife. I understand but you are helpless without them. I need your help. You uh, need to be a church member because God created us and designed us to need others. In the days of creation, we read that God created everything, and we read of the different days of creation, and he finished each one. He said, it is good, it is good, it is good. And, and then he created man. And he looked at man and he said, it is not good. But that's not all he said. He said, it is not good that man should be alone. And so he made a woman from man's rib to bring to him. She's referred to as a help meet one to come alongside of and aid and help. That is one of the works of the church. Because it is not good 
that men should be alone. You know, we, we, we have emotional needs. I don't know if any of you have those, but I have we, we have uh, physical needs. We have uh, companionship needs. It is so good, and my prayer is that you walk through the doors of this church, right out there, you come in, and that you are able to say, I'm safe. It's, it's, like, it's like you're in a rat race out there. It's like, it's like uh, you're the rabbit on the dog racetrack, and all the dogs are chasing you. And finally, you walk through the door, and you say, I'm safe. That's, that's what it feels like. That's what it should feel like. Because we need each other. There are uh, service and ministry needs that require others. We, we have deacons because... You need help, and the word deacon means serve, and the deacons are here to, to, to serve God and, and to serve you and to help the pastor do his job. Deacons should work, but we also have care groups. We have pastors because we have needs. The local church, as Christ established it, is made up of believers who have chosen to identify with the church through baptism and have put themselves as believers under the God-ordained pastor, bishop, elder of that church. And the Bible talks about his, that pastor's accountability. The Bible talks about the pastor's responsibility. And the Bible says the pastor must give an account. And so how you work with him is really important. But it's not like he gets to do anything he wants, you know, and run you in the ground and shove your face in the mud. He, he, he can't do that. He is supposed to be a shepherd, and he's supposed to be looking at you and looking after you. And if you're running along and you say to your pastor, hey, my leg's broke, you don't say, toughen up, buddy. I mean, that's not... You should try to help the person go through that. That's a pastor's job. Uh, you need to be, I think, an active church member to fulfill the word pictures given in the Bible that show how the believer fits into the church of Christ. Here are the word pictures. It's really cool. There's four of them. The believer is to the local church what a brick is to a building. So the believer is the brick that fits in the local church. And quite frankly, you just take a brick outside of the church and throw it out here in the yard, it's not worth much. You can even take two of them and it's not worth much. But you take a, a group of them and put them together and you build a building. And the church is made up of bricks, of stones. And the chief cornerstone, this text tells us in Ephesians 2, 19 to 22, the the chief cornerstone is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the foundation is the Lord Jesus Christ. And the church is a building that's built on him. And the people are bricks who are part of the building. Every believer should be part of it. Not only that, the Bible gives us another picture. It, it, it tells us that the church is a body. And, and the in, individual members are like body parts. And some are the hand, and hands, and, and, and some might be an eye, and some might be a leg, and, and uh, some might be a big toe. <laughs> you know, I, they're, they're body parts, and everybody has a, a gift and, that God gives us that we're supposed to exercise as our part of the body. This would be the weirdest looking body you ever saw. 
if everybody were an eyeball. In fact, it'd be one great big eyeball bouncing down the aisle. You know, I, I don't think that'll work. We have to have all these parts, and they all have to work together, and they all have to be joined together. Boy, we've been listening to some sorry news about Planned Parenthood and about their taking body parts out of the womb and selling them. And that, that, that was really, it makes me sick, it makes me cry. But if you take a body part, your limb, and you lay it out here in the parking lot, it probably isn't too useful. You know, a body part separated from the body can't function like it should function. And, and I, I think my body is so neat. It, it used to be neater. <laughs> it, it used to be a lot better. I, I used to think I was indestructible. You know, I, I thought nothing could stop me and I could whip everything and whip everybody. And this is for you young folks. You know, and I thought that until I was 40, and I tried. I spent the first 40 years trying to destroy this body and, and, and every way I could. And I'm spending the next 40 trying to put it back together. And, and I'm not doing too well. But part of the body, the church is to be part. The members are a part of the body. They need to work together. And then also, the Bible tells us that the member in a church is like the member of a family, a member of the household of God, belonging to a family. I, I hope you all like family. I, I love family. I mean, I, I love family when there were all nine of us kids and my parents at home living in our little tar paper shack, but we were rich. We didn't have anything, but come Thanksgiving, we had a big meal, and, and we, we were rich. I can remember about graduation time in high school, we were all gathered around for something, and I thought, I hope this never quits. And I loved it that much. And then my wife and I started having our own family, and we had these little kids. And I actually remember a time when I had all three of those boys sitting on my lap, and I was rocking them. And uh, Ken was the cutest one. But, uh, but I had them sitting there, and I was rocking them. Uh, and uh, I, I was hoping they wouldn't grow up, because I love having those little guys sitting on my lap. I loved rocking them at night. I loved having a daughter, you know, but I don't know if I owned her or she owned me. But I, but I loved having a daughter. I love family, and, and, and I love everybody who's in it. And church ought to be like a family. You know, I have a preacher friend who used to say to me, when we'd be talking, he'd say, uh, Jack, we be brethren. <laughs> There's a reason Christians call each other brother and sister. I mean, we don't do it a lot, but, but there's a reason we do that, because we are. And we should get along like a good family. I know there's some families when you walk in the door and the war starts. I don't want that kind of family. I don't want our church to be that kind of family. So uh, the, the question is, which is really my message today, Am I a healthy church member? And to be a healthy church member, you need to know what you believe. And that's where I want to try to help you today. I want, I first of all want you to get the idea that it's important. Okay. Secondly, I want you to help you know what you believe. You know, a, a, a healthy church member needs to be a biblical theologian. A, uh, the importance of knowing what you believe. Um, what you 
let me say some things about that. What you believe will help you grow in your reverence for God. The more you know about God, the more you know about His universe, the more you know about His dealing with man, the more you will admire Him and desire to know and worship Him more. The more I know Him, the more I want to know Him. You just get to know Him better. I can remember my first year when I went to Bible college. And I was sitting in class. It was in the summer. And the professor was teaching. It happened to be, he was teaching in Genesis. And then the other class I had was his Bible survey. But I was sitting there listening. Wow. This is so good. I could sit here the rest of my life and listen to this. He was teaching me about God and God and how God works. And it was just uh, if I can use this, it was delicious. You know, I, I, I just loved it. It wasn't about school. It was about learning about God and His dealings with man. It was so enjoyable. And as I went through that process, the more I got to know God, the more I realized that I needed to worship Him and I wanted to worship Him. In Psalm 138, verse 2, I read these words. The psalmist says, I bow down toward your holy temple, talking to the Lord, and give thanks to your name for your steadfast love and your faithfulness. Looking at God's love, God's faithfulness, and says, For you have exalted above all things your name and your word. He's thinking about God's name which describes who he is, and God's work. And he's thinking about that, and he's worshiping God. One of the reasons we don't worship God is, is we don't take time to meditate on him. The more I know of him, the more I love him. I got a, I, I got a confession to make. I love my I love her a lot more than I did the day I married her. And I thought I loved her as much as you possibly could the day we got married. How could you love her anymore? But, you know, I I get to know her, and uh, the more I know her, the more I love her. And and, and I just uh, appreciate her. You don't have to love her. I'm not telling you to. She's my wife. I love her. Okay. Uh, and so, uh, you see, when you think of God's grace, I mean, this is a whole sermon, this sentence. When you think of God's grace, what he does for you that you don't deserve, take a breath. There's some of it right there. When you think of God's mercy, the Bible says God's mercies are new every morning. I got to tell you that uh, if, if that wasn't so, God would have killed me three times yesterday. If, if, if he was a God of justice, probably more times than that. I need his mercy constantly. God's mercy is God not giving you what you do deserve. That mercy is, is what you hear when a kid is about to get a spanking and he begins screaming and hollering and begging and saying, don't spank me. He wants mercy. He doesn't want to be spanked. And we need mercy. I remember one time a, 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 a police officer pulled me over because uh, I was speeding. It was a long time ago. I was in my uh, 20s, early 20s. He pulled me over. He said, you know how fast you were going? And I said, yeah. You know, like, I don't know what it was really, maybe 50 and a 40 or, or 40 and a 25. I don't know. It's down by Flint Junior College. And he said, can I see your license? And I gave it to him. And as he walked away, I said, but you don't need to give me a ticket. He turned around and come back and said, why not? I said, I've already got too many points. 
you give me a jacket, I'm going to lose my license. <laughs> you know what I was begging for? Mercy. Mercy. By the way, he didn't give me a ticket. Isn't that amazing? You see, what, what, what you believe will establish your values for life. It's important because your belief establishes your values. And if you believe that drugs are the answer, you will live and value drugs. If you believe alcohol is the answer, you, you will live for alcohol. If you believe whatever, you can put anything in there you want. If you believe that is the answer, that's the thing that will drive you. Many a man has ruined his family because he thought money was the answer. His priority, his value was money. So I'm telling you that it's really important what you believe. You can put any word you want in that sentence. If, if you believe that marriage is ordained and ordered and established and prescribed by God, then you will do everything you possibly can to build your marriage on what God has to say. You, if you truly believe that, you will say, Lord, what will you have me to do in any situation? If you believe that a parent's responsibility is to, to disciple their children, disciple, that's Matthew 28, 19, disciple, uh, you know, make disciples, lead them to the Lord, and teach them, and help them to know the Word of God and the life that God would have them to have. If you believe that your responsibility is to disciple your children, and personally, I believe that. I believe that parenting is first and foremost discipleship. Then you will do everything you can to bring your children up to know and follow the Lord. You will do all you can to disciple them because you believe that's the case. And a lot of people... Parents have the wrong idea about parenting. They believe that the parent's responsibility is to have cute kids. Or they believe that the parent's responsibility is to give their child anything and everything they want. Or they believe that the parent's responsibility is to whip those kids into line. I mean, there's a lot of things you could put in there, but parenting ought to be about discipleship, bringing them up to know the Lord and to walk with Him. How are you going to do that? What you believe will determine how you behave. You need to know what you believe. Belief translates into behavior. You know, I mean, it does. And sometimes you may behave contrary to what you believe because you can't believe, behave any other way or you're in a box or society keeps you in, in a place where you can't do it. But if you were set free to do anything you want, you would probably do some things you ought not to do if you've got wrong beliefs. If I can change, and when someone comes to see me, if I can change the way you think, I believe it will change the way you behave. If I can change the way you think, I think it will change the way you behave. I go back to our oldest boy, and some of you may remember this, uh, when, when he was little, and we had a Christmas tree. And that was back in the days when you had seven watt bulbs on your Christmas tree. And if you remember those bulbs, remember they were very, very hot. Uh, in fact, a lot of trees caught in fire. But they were very hot. And Kel was crawling around, and, and he decided that he was going to touch that bulb because it caught his attention. So he goes to crawling up there, and he's going to put his finger on it. I said, no, 
and I drag him away. And he turns around and he crawls back up there, and I say, no, and I drag him away. And then he turns back around and he crawls up there, and I say, go. He reached up there and touched that ball. At that point, he changed the way he thought. And from, from then on, he changed the way he behaved when it came to those balls. Change the way you think, it'll change the way you behave. Take the word of God, let it change the way you think, it will change the way you behave. What you will believe will set the direction of your life. I'll just read a, a, a portion of scripture for that, but I could spend more time on that, but it says, uh, enter by the narrow gate. For the gate is wide, and the way is easy that leads to destruction, and those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow, and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. It has to do with the difference between those who say, I'll do it my way. And those who say, I want to know Christ and submit to him. What you believe will determine the priorities of your life. What's number one in your life? What's number two in your life? What you believe is the basis for what or who you put your faith in. You know? Uh, do you put your faith in God? Or do you put your faith in man? That's what we need to decide. And who are you going to put your faith in? Sometimes we put our faith in the wrong thing, and it lets us down. Uh, you know, the banks will let you down. Your neighbor will let you down. You know, sometimes your kids will let you down. And, but our faith needs to be in the Lord. In fact, what you believe will ultimately determine whether you spend eternity in heaven with the Lord or you spend eternity in hell with the devil and his angels. What you believe will determine which way you go. When your beliefs are in the Bible, they will help you overcome wrong ideas and false teaching concerning life, and living in eternity. So you need to know what you believe. Okay? Now, my next point is the importance of getting beliefs from the right sources. And I'll just tell you that some people just believe lies. You just tell them anything and they'll believe you. You know, and, and, and uh, you know, people will lie. Have you come across anybody that lies? They'll lie to get a deal. They'll, they'll lie to get even. They'll lie just for fun. I remember when I was a young fella, I, I worshipped my older brother. I probably still do. But uh, my, my older brother was four years older than me. One day he said to me, Dad, smell my feet. He said, I got a new foot powder and that really smelled good. I laid down there. It was so raunchy. He lied. And he did that to me a half a dozen times. <laughs> and I'm not smart. I just chose to believe in the lies. <clears throat> and, you know, uh, don't believe the lies. Actually, it was Eve who believed the lie of the devil. That's where sin entered the world. In fact, the worst person in all of history and all of mankind is a liar. His name is Satan. And his name means liar, deceiver. And some people get everything they believe from lies. And I actually believe that Satan is the origin. Some believe half-truths. That's truths with, mixed with error. 
Now, now here's, here's how that works. This is where the cults come from. And this is where the false teachers come from. I mean, actually, maybe the worst kind of a lie is a lie mixed with truth so you'll swallow it. You know? I mean, and, and, and uh, some people swallow about anything. And some people, all they want to do, I, I think, like in churches, all they want to do is go into church and, and they want to have their ego stroke and they want to have their back patted and they want to have their emotions driven. But they really don't want to have doctrine. I don't want to go to a church like that. They teach too much doctrine over there. They teach too much Bible over there. I want to go to church, to a church that makes me feel good. Uh, a far better church is a church that tells you the truth. That's what you want. So, some base their beliefs on misinformation. They have the wrong information. I was working with my brother at my parents' house one time, and because I was an electrician, I was doing some wiring for him, and and my younger brother, Richard, was helping me. And I told him what to do to go down and turn the power off. And I said, and I said, you got her shut off? He says, the power's off. You know, I got her shut off. I took my cutters and cut the wire, blew the end off the pliers. My brother gave me bad information. <laughs> In fact, one day I was working on a on a garage with Ken, and I was helping wire it. Ken hollers at me. He said, Dad, is this power off? I said, well, yeah. Pretty soon he goes, Dad! Stop! I gave him the wrong information. He, he thinks I did that on purpose. Some have their belief system is made up, and they swallow it. There are people out there who want to get you to believe things because they have other motives. They may have a motive that is selfishness. And I want you to believe a certain thing because I want your money. You ever got one of those? Call a scam. They want you to believe something so they can get your money. I am not going to go through the whole thing, but I got scammed royally. guy called me and told me he was calling me from AOL or whoever it is, uh, and uh, Microsoft, and he was telling me that I had to buy his program or, or Microsoft was going to shut my computer down. Stupid me. I bought him. I listened, and I thought, I guess I got to do it, you know. And uh, so I gave him my name, my address, my credit card number, and I even let him access my computer. And then I figured out that it wasn't right, and that he was going to take and charge my credit card, but my credit card company stopped it. For me. But even at the same time they stopped it, I got afraid and I called and told him to stop it. And then he called me back and asked me what happened. And then I told him, and I said, I said, you're a crook. He said, yeah. I said, this is spam, and I like to steal money from people like you. But I let him on my computer. And guess what? I lost everything. He wiped it out. Got even with me. For their own gain, they say something to me, try to get me to believe it out of selfish gain. You need to be aware of that. That can't be setting your values. Some people will set your values or try to get you to believe because of their own pride, sometimes out of lust. Some folks believe. What they want to believe. You know what I mean? They 
just believe what they want to believe. They hear what they want to hear. They see what they want to see. And you're not going to tell them any different. And they won't listen. And they won't hear. And then some people suck their own beliefs out of their own thought. And what I mean by that is, have you heard them say it? Well, what I think, and they're just telling you what they think, and the belief that comes out of your own thumb probably isn't valid unless it's based on the Word of God. Okay? There are, however, some very good sources for belief, for what you believe. Actually, what God tells you in in His Word is probably the best, and you can listen to godly pastors and preachers, and they'll help you establish right beliefs. You can sing and read and have part in and listen to godly songs. You can listen to godly teachers and mentors. You can read godly books based on the Bible. You can read proven science books that are consistent with Scripture. You can get beliefs from there. You can get beliefs from accurate history books that tell it like it is and was. But the final authority and basis for what we believe and practice is the Bible, the Word of God. 2 Timothy 3, 15 through 17, uh, the last half of it would be 15b, but it says there, the Holy Scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Listen, the Word of God is all you need. I'm not saying it's the only thing you need to read. But it says here that God's Word is profitable for teaching, telling you what God wants you to do and how God wants you to behave and how what God's standard is. And then reproof, that word reproof really means conviction. And if you've ever been guilty, you know what it is to be convict, convicted. And then for correction. So it tells you what you're supposed to do. And then it tells you when you're wrong. And then it tells you correction how to get right. And then it says for training in righteousness. Then it tells you how to stay right. If you want a good belief system, stick with the book, the Bible. I want to talk to you for a minute about the importance of intentional development of right right beliefs. If you want to develop a solid biblical theology, read the Bible. How silly is that? How simple is that? Read the Bible. Just read. Take time to read it, to find out what it has to say, to get out of it what God has to say, read, read the Bible. Kind of read it like a love letter from someone that you love and it's written to you. And if you can't think of it that way, read it like an uh, like owner's manual. In the sense that you bought something and you're trying to put it together and you get out the owner's manual and you start reading it. Or, or read it like a recipe, looking for the solutions, looking for the answers. Don't just read it to read it, but read it to get out of it what's there. I would say read it looking for action. Well, how do you find the action in the Bible? Look, at, look for the verbs. Put a circle around every verb you come across. Read it for look, look, looking for people. Just circle every name you come across. And then as you're reading it, 
realize that if you're going to do it like Spurgeon does, you're going to see the names that aren't there. And uh, fill them in. In fact, not only read it, but study it. Here's what it says in 2 Timothy 2.15. It says, do your best or study to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. The key word there is study. Now, study takes work. Do your best takes work. You can't get the Bible through osmosis. If I let this thing lay there long enough, maybe it will seep through. You can't get it that way. If I have it laying on my desk long enough, maybe some of it will suck up in me. You can't get it through osmosis, which means it just somehow or another goes through something and gets into you. The only way you get it, the only way you get the Word of God in you, is study. you got to work. Let me give you some suggestions. We, we have a set of discipleship books in our church. Some of you have been through them. Some of you have That would be a good starting place if you wanted to study, because they're like sort of self-teaching. We have 14 books covering 14 different subjects. And I'm teaching a class on it right now, but it's made for the individual to be able to go through it alone or go through it with somebody else. And, and I think they are tremendous. So I, I want to study. I want to learn something. Um, you ever thought about looking at their doctrinal statement? Find out what we believe? Read it line by line, phrase by phrase, and understand what it's saying. That, that would be a tremendous education. That would be like a theology course. Take time and do that. If you want to know what you believe, just get to know that. Or read through a good theology book. You say, oh, Pastor, I'm not going to do that. That's doctrine. Now, go ahead and read it. I, I remember, some of you know this fellow, but I remember years ago I was at a pastor's conference, and, uh, and the guest speaker was Norm Street. And we were a bunch of young pastors sitting there, and he was talking to us. He said, fellas, he said, you need to get Strong's Theology and read it. <laughs> now, if you've ever seen Strong's Theology, well, uh, it, it's, it's not thick. It's only about this thick, but it's the finest print you ever did see. And you start reading through it, a little bit at a time, and I thought, and, and then he said, I've read it. In fact, eventually I had to refer to that a lot. And I began to learn that a whole lot of other people who call themselves theologians have been referring to Strong's theology book. Evans theology was there, Van Cross theology was there, all kinds of them. I think Norm Strait gave us some good advice. I'm not telling you to run out and buy Strong's theology, but I'll tell you what, if you really want to get a hold of something that you believe, get hold of that. And then uh, there's a new dictionary of biblical theology that I really like. That would be worth getting. And then there's uh, new studies in biblical theology edited by D.A. Carson. Or read a book by J.I. Packer called Knowing God. There are many more. When I was getting ready to go to Bible school or the Bible Baptist Seminary, uh, there were some guys in the office where I worked, and they knew I was getting ready to go. And they, and they asked me if, if I believed, uh, if, if, if I was a Calvinist or an Armenian. Oh, I said, I don't fool around with big words like that. I don't like doctrine. Folks, I, I didn't know anything. All, all I remembered was deep and wide. 
because by the time we get 20 years old, we ought to know a little bit about what we believe. And that's one of the goals of our Sunday school and, the, and what we do. One of the saddest commentaries on the church today is the number of Christians who don't know what they believe and could not defend themselves against the enemy even to the point of death. I like that song we used to sing, Standing on the Promises of God. You can't do that if you don't know what they are. You need to learn them. You say, well, what can I do? Our, our church is anemic when it comes to knowing what they believe. Well, you can begin to change that. Just one. Here's a question. Would you be comfortable sharing God's simple plan of salvation? Do you know what it is? Do you know how it works? Do you know what the price is? Do you know what Jesus did? You need to know that. Can you share with someone why you believe the Bible is the Word of God? Can you share that with them? You ought to be, every believer ought to be so comfortable talking about the Bible and about what they believe that it's a matter of everyday conversation. I have discovered that I can talk to people who don't believe, and I can talk about spiritual things and about God, and they act like they understand. I know they don't understand, but I'm comfortable talking about it. And I guess they're not rude enough to tell me to shut up. But uh, but you can be comfortable talking to people about what you believe. If you're going to be you're going to be a healthy church member. You need to know what you do. Father, I thank you for this time we've had together. Oh God, help us to know you, to know your word. Lord, I don't know that we'll ever fathom it completely, that we'll ever know all. But Father, I pray that we might have a Let's stand together.